Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I <laughs> I've not really been looking forward to this sermon. It's not a it's a it's a tough one. It's still in our series about who is Jesus, but we're to that point in Lent, um, right before Easter, where the darkest part of the story shows up. It's so dark that I asked Kat not to read the scripture. We'll get to it in this sermon, but I didn't want you to have to listen to it twice to tell you the truth. So a couple things um, as we start here. It'll help if we can think about context. We're going to be look at John chapter 19. It's a follow-up to some of the things Maddie talked about last week where Pilate had been talking with Jesus. They had this deep philosophical conversation about truth, and Pilate ends with, I don't know, he seems good to me. Like, well, I don't know why everybody's so mad at him. Um, and they agree that they're going to let another criminal loose and Jesus will stay in his place. And so that's how that chapter opens up. But it'll help us if we can think about some of the things leading up even to this moment. So think about the sorts of things that have been happening. For the last three-ish years, these disciples have been traveling around with Jesus. They've been listening to him. They've been uh, trying to learn from who he is and what he has to say about God. And they've seen remarkable things. They've seen miracle after miracle. They've seen kindnesses to people that aren't typically treated so. Um, there's even this one story. I posted a little clip on this in the Facebook church group, church Facebook group, if you want to see it. It's uh, about five minutes from a series called The Chosen. And if you're not in the Facebook group and want to be, or if you want me to send the video, just, just I'll be glad to send it to you later. Let me know. But it tells the short story of the kinds of things that they experienced. So it's a story about how uh, Peter was out fishing one night. It's late into the night, caught nothing, caught nothing, which is a real problem because that's his job. He's supposed to catch fish, and that's how he makes his living. And then in the morning, Jesus is out there and says, hey, try to, try to fish out of the other side of your boat. And Peter's like, oh, like, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm a professional fisherman. And they push on each other a little bit, and finally he's like, fine. So he throws the nets, and then there's just a literal boatload of fish. So it's this giant miracle um, that Jesus does as a... I don't know, as, a, as an act of grace, um, abundance, as a, as a moment to remind Peter or show Peter something of who God is and that God is present with them. So that's the, that's the kind of experiences that everybody's having here up until we get to this point in John chapter 19. Also, for a little bit of context, I think it'll help you to think about what happens after this story in John 19. There's a John chapter 20. Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. Um, we're going to talk about that at Easter, and this is the big celebration coming up. We're not there yet, but we know that's going to happen. We know that at some point Jesus is going to show up in this upper room and meet with the disciples again and talk through them, and there's going to be a really interesting conversation with Thomas. We'll get to hear a sermon from Cher here in a few weeks about that. But there's another moment I want to look at before we get to today's topic, and that's John chapter 21. So if you want to read along, I'm in John chapter 21. Or I'm going to get there. Hold on, I have no idea where I'm there. Nope, that's too far. John chapter 21, the first 14 verses here um, tell another fishing story. So again, this is after Jesus has died, after he's raised from the dead, and after he's met with some of the disciples. Uh, here's this story. I'm reading, by the way, from the message. I like other translations, especially looking at word by word of looking at scripture, but when I'm trying to hear a story as a whole, 
I find that this is useful to me. So that's what I'm working out of today. So John chapter 21. Jesus appeared again to the disciples, and this time at the Tiberias Sea, or the Sea of Galilee. And this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, well, we're going with you. And they went out and they got in the boat and they caught nothing that night. And when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. And Jesus spoke to them. He said, well, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? And they said, no. He said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. I'm curious at what point they were like, you know what this kind of reminds me of? It doesn't say that they did. But when they did throw it on the other side of the boat, all of a sudden there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. And then the disciple Jesus loved, which means John, he said to Peter, it's the master, Jesus is here. And when Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, because he'd taken them off to work, and he dove into the sea. And the other disciples came in by boat, because they weren't far from land, 100 yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. And when they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. So Jesus raised from the dead so he could go to the beach and make his friends some breakfast. (laughs) And Jesus said, well, bring some of those fish you've caught. And Simon Peter joined him, and he pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. And Jesus said, well, breakfast is ready. And not one of the disciples asked, who are you? Because they knew it was him. And Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. Again, symbolic and similar to the thing that had happened at the Last Supper shortly before. And he did the same with the fish. And that was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. The reason I tell you that story is because we're going to look at that darker part of the story now. And when we're in the darkest places, one of the things that we have to hold on to is knowing that that is not the end of the story. It doesn't make the darkness not dark, and it doesn't not make the pain not hurt, but it gives us context for it. So I want you to have that in mind um, as we go to this. All right, John, chapter 19. Same thing, I'm going to read from the message here for the storytelling sake of it. We're in the first 16 verses. Pilate has said, fine, um, you can have, uh, they said, free Barabbas, and this is, uh, Pilate says, great, here's what we'll do, we'll make you feel better. So he says to the crowd that they can have Jesus, so Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers, having braided a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They threw a purple robe over him. They did purple because everybody's saying, oh, he's the king of the Jews. Is he a king, really, or not? And purple is just a a royal color, so it's just a mocking of him. And they approached him, and they said, hail, king of the Jews. And they greeted him with slaps in the face. So Pilate went back out again, and he said to him, I present him to you, but I want you to know I don't find him guilty of any crime. And just then, Jesus came out wearing the thorn crown and the purple robe. And Pilate announced to him, he says, here he is, the man. And when the high priest and police saw him, they shouted in a frenzy, crucify, crucify. They'd seen the cruelties already, but they said it's not enough. 
So Pilate said, well, you take him. You crucify him. I find nothing wrong with him. And the Jews answered, well, we have a law. And by that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he became even more scared. Interesting to think about how fearful he was of this crowd. What was happening in him internally and all the things that were going on around him. And he's scared. So he goes back into the palace and he has another conversation with Jesus. He says, where did you come from? And Jesus didn't answer him, gave no answer. He just stayed quiet. And Pilate says, you won't talk? Don't you know I have the authority to pardon you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus says, you haven't a shred of authority over me except what has been given you from heaven. That's why the one who betrayed me to you has committed a far greater fault. At this, Pilate tried his best to pardon him. But the Jews shouted him down. If you pardon this man, you're no friend to Caesar's. Anyone setting himself up as king defies Caesar. So now he's really in a threatening, terrifying place. He's getting ready to lose his power. Who knows how he's going to be treated if Caesar somehow hints out that he doesn't think Caesar's king. So when Pilate heard those words, he led Jesus outside. He sat down at the judgment seat in the area designated the stone court. It was the preparation day for Passover. That means that the whole city was preparing for the Passover. It's the day that all the lambs were killed for the meal. The hour was noon, and Pilate said to the Jews, Here's your king. And they shouted back, Kill him, kill him, crucify him. Pilate said, I'm to crucify your king? And the high priest answered, Boy, here comes some heresy. They said, We have no king except Caesar. They had left out God altogether. So Pilate caved in to their demand. I hate that story. I hate how Jesus suffered. I hate hate how a, a crowd feeds on violence because they believed a lie. I hate how Pilate knew what was true and couldn't find the courage to do good with it. I hate how I see myself in each of the characters in these stories at different times. And I hate that there's more darkness to come. Like, we're not done with it. It gets, the story just stays dark. But it's important for us to pay attention to this. We have to visit this story. I mean, I mean, part of it is because the theology of the understanding that Jesus died for the world, for us. But there's also something else going on here that's important, and it, it helps us understand something about suffering. I'm always surprised by people who are always chipper. I, I never quite understand constant chipper, chippiness. Um, I mean, that no matter what happens, they'll say things like, I'm too blessed to be stressed, or uh, it is what it is. I'm like, is it? Is it? Um, you know, I'll just let this roll off. It doesn't matter. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I always hear that with a little bit of suspicion because I don't, I don't think that's entirely true. Because, it, I mean, there's good. I mean, the, the, for telling the whole truth, there is goodness. No doubt about that. But to deny the pain and to deny the suffering, there's a kind of uh, dishonesty in that. There's a dismissal of the pain. Because suffering's real. Uh, it's an inescapable part of our human experience. So much so that when God himself said, 
I'm going to come down to earth and be a real life person. He knew it was going to hurt. And I don't just mean John 19 hurt, although that was part of it. There's lots of accounts of Jesus in pain. Jesus crying, weeping, hurting, whether it was his pain or other people's. Um, there's no getting out of the suffering. There's no getting out of the pain. It, it's there. So what do we do? Well, we have to learn hope. One of the things about Jesus in this story is um, it, the passage never says hope, but there's something in me as you watch the way he suffered. He knows that this isn't the end of the story. He knows that there's more to come. Jesus suffered, but not in a hopeless way. Uh, he, he knew it wasn't the very end. I've been reading a book lately, and it has some pieces on it about hope I thought I'd share that could be useful for us. Uh, it's Brene Brown's latest book called Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection, the Language of Human Experience. And here's some of what she has to say about hope. We need hope like we need air. To live without hope is to risk suffocating on hopelessness and despair. Risk being crushed by the belief that there's no way out of what's holding us back, no way to get to what we desperately need. But hope is not what most of us think it is. It's not a warm, fuzzy emotion that fills us with a sense of possibility. Hope is a way of thinking. And it's a way of thinking that we can learn. Hope is a function of struggle. We develop hope not during the easy or comfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. Hope is learned. And then she cites some research um, about uh, some studies that have been done where we find out that children most often learn the habit of hope from their parents. To learn hopefulness, children need relationships that are characterized by boundaries, consistency, and support. Children with high levels of hopefulness have experience with adversity. They've been given the opportunity to struggle. Of course, that's true for us grown-ups, too. It's not just true for children. I'm encouraged that hope is a learned thing. I'm relieved about it, actually, that it doesn't just have to be a wispy feeling that shows up or a, a Band-Aid to put on a thing that is really broken and hurt. It's learned, and we can learn it. That's why the ice started talking about John 19 by going to the end of the story. I think Maddie was right last week when she said sometimes you need to know the end just to sustain yourself in the difficulty of the, the middle parts of any given story. We started with hope because that's the thing that can hold us through. Some of the research around hope says that a key element you have to have when there is suffering is a vision and a pathway forward you have to know that there's more to come. And it's one of the great advantages we have of reading scripture at this point and not living through it when we did the way that the people in the story did. We know what's coming. Jesus is making breakfast on the beach. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the pain. And that's true for us here now, too. We don't know exactly what is in store. God says he'll come back and he'll put everything to right I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know exactly what it is, but he's given us some images to hold on to. So in this Lent season, whether you're in a season of celebration or whether you're in a season of suffering or pain or in a time when all of us spend some time reflecting on the suffering of Christ, 
before he raised from the dead. Maybe it helps for you to think about him being on the beach making breakfast. It helps me. <laughs>